Chapter 2 of Captain Sparkle, Pirate, The Mystery of the Pirate Craft. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen R. Gagan. Captain Sparkle, Pirate, by Nicholas Carter. Let me talk now, exclaimed Bessie. I was the first one to reach the deck after you called us, Max. All right, I've no objections. I feel like seven different kinds of a jay anyhow when I tell this story, and by the great boot in Chatham Street, Nick, I'd willingly give up a million rather than go through with it again. All the same, I want those race cups back again, if I can get them. So the pirate took them, did he? I thought he'd said it might be arranged so that you could keep them. Oh, he took them all right, and he did offer to make an arrangement, but I will tell you about that when Bessie gets through. Nick turned so that he faced Miss Harlan. I was the first one to reach the deck, she began, and I saw a distinguished-looking man seated in that chair where the Count is sitting. He wore a red mask over his face, as Max had described it, and his costume was strikingly like a Romeo getup, only it was red. My first thought was that some of Max's friends had discovered that we were at the anchorage and had come aboard to treat us to an impromptu fancy dress party. I really supposed that I would have known them had they not been masked and regarded the whole thing as a joke. So I went toward them humming gaily the troubadour, but when I drew nearer so that I could get a view of Max's face, I was startled. He looked so savage, and he was even chewing away at his mustache, just as if he had not spent hours and hours in training it ever since it sprouted. That will do, Bessie. Just keep to your story, if you don't mind, said Kane. Well, she continued, I saw then that something was the matter. My first thought was that Max was annoyed because his friends had come. But when he rose in his place and in an ivory tone said, Miss Harlan, I am compelled, much against my will, to introduce a gentleman thief to you. I don't know what to say or what to think, but before I could do either, the pirate had turned toward Max, and I could see the flash of his eyes through the holes in his mask when he said icily, Mr. Kane, if I hear a repetition of your present offense, the consequences to yourself and your ladies will be upon your own head. I beg that you will present me properly, sir. I was nonplussed, Mr. Carter, and I could see that Max was swearing mad. However, he did as he was told. This is Captain Sparkle, a pirate, he said. And then he called out to my sister, who was just appearing, to go back and get his box of cigars for him. I turned to the pirate and said, You've selected a late hour to make your call upon us, Captain Sparkle. From necessity, believe me, madam, he replied, bowing. My sister and the Count appeared at that moment, and Max introduced them by saying between his teeth, My wife and Count Cadillac, Captain Sparkle. Cora had brought the cigars with her, and Max lighted one of them. After that, he seemed better. And had you not guessed the true significance of the presence of the man in red? asked Nick. No. I saw something was wrong, but what it was or what it meant, I had no idea. The pirate, however, did not leave me long in doubt. No. What did he say and do? Oh, let me speak now, interjected Kane's wife. By Jove, muttered Kane. One would think this was a prize composition tourney. My first impression about the matter, said Mrs. Kane, was much the same as Bessie's, and I suppose the Count's was the same. Yes, replied the Count. Quite so. However, she continued, as Bessie says, we were not long left in doubt. Captain Sparkle, as he called himself, snapped his fingers, and his men whom I had noticed when I had come out of the cabin, came forward, or, or rather aft, at once, 
falling into line like trained soldiers. Ladies and gentlemen, said Captain Sparkle then, these are my followers. We have come here on an important errand. We are, in a word, collecting jewels, trinkets, money, and valuables of all kinds. In your own world, you would designate us robbers, or perhaps by the term which Mr. Kane has just now applied to me, pirates. I am about to send several of my men below to obtain what you have there, and you will each spare yourself unnecessary annoyance resulting from broken locks and rumpled wearing apparel if you will produce your keys and give me such directions as will aid us in our search. It was quite a speech, Mr. Carter, and I think I have repeated it word for word. I was amazed, and I did not know what to think. I was frightened, too, and then, for the first time, I saw that my husband was almost beside himself with rage and chagrin. I knew then that the strangely attired man had spoken the truth, and that they were robbers. I thought Bessie would faint. She uttered a cry and came closer to me, and that act of hers led the pirate to make another speech. "'I beg, ladies,' he said, "'that you will not be needlessly alarmed. You are in no personal danger.' You will not be molested in any way. You have only to remain seated here in the chairs until we have finished our business when we will depart as we came in silence. And in the meantime, I will direct one of my men to act as steward and bring wine to you. Now, if you please, the keys and the information I requested. Now wait, Cora, said Kane. It's my turn again. Go on, said Nick. The pirate left three of his men on deck to watch us while he took the others below with him. Of course, that was after we had given up our keys and all the information he asked about our valuables. The men he left to guard us were armed, too, this time. They each held a revolver. I don't know where they got them from, for I had not seen them before. Not one of them uttered a word, however. They simply stood there with their pistols in their hands like so many wax figures. The Count spoke to them two or three times, but he got no reply at all. After a few minutes, one of the men who had gone below with the chief came back with a tray. The scoundrel had opened the steward's pantry and helped himself, but he sent up a bottle of sherry, a bottle of whiskey, and a siphon of seltzer. But he did not come himself, eh? asked Nick. Not until he was through below, then he appeared. But in the meantime, his men had come up two by two, carrying stuff they had stolen. But they covered everything with blankets or table linen, so I could not see a thing they were taking away. Once, when two of them were carrying a particularly heavy bundle towards the bow of the yacht, I half rose from my chair to observe them more closely, but it was only to find that one of the rascals on guard over me had thrust the muzzle of his revolver under my nose, so I resumed my seat without a word. Well, after a while, Carter, the pirate got all he could find, and he came on deck himself. He came at once to where I was sitting and said, Now, Mr. Kane, about that money, if you please. Where is it? I have discovered considerably less than the sum you were good enough to mention. You haven't discovered any that I mentioned, I replied to him. So I suppose I will ask you to produce what you have about you. But he did not take my watch, my cuff buttons, or my stick pin, and although he relieved the count of his money, he left him his watch and other things. And there was an odd thing about it too, Carter. He did not touch with his own hands a thing we offered him. One of his men stepped forward in each instance to accept our offerings. But after it was all over, after he had returned our keys and thanked each one of us for the use of them, the strangest thing of the whole proceedings took place. You asked me when we began how the fellow got aboard, and I told you that to reply to that question would be to get ahead of my story. Yes, said the detective. Well, until that moment, I myself had no idea how he had accomplished it. 
I'm not positive even that I had asked myself the same question. So many things had happened in a short time, and my mind had been kept so employed in thinking about the absurdity of the whole occurrence that the mere incident of how the pirate came aboard my yacht, or how he intended to take his departure when the moment arrived to do so, did not present itself. Well, I can readily understand that, but I was soon to discover. He returned the keys and thanked us for our courtesy with an air of a Chesterfield. Then which a bow, which would have made Beau Brummel stare with envy, he turned his back and walked to the bow of the yacht. Mind you, there had not been a sound during the entire proceeding which would have called a single member of my crew to deck, even if they had all been awake and listening. And to this moment, with the exception of the one man who was captured by the pirates and bound and gagged near the forecastle hatch, not a man of my crew is aware of what happened. Do you mean that you've managed to keep it a secret from all of them? Yes, I do mean that. It's bad enough to have the members of my own family know about it. It is bad enough to be compelled to tell you about it, without living to the end of my days knowing that my men are quietly laughing in their sleeves at me. I'm afraid that you're oversensitive about it, Kane. Huh. <sighs> Perhaps so. But I don't like to be laughed at. And more, I am not one who is supposed to submit to such a proceeding without offering the slightest resistance. I know that. And here I permitted the fellow to come aboard, to take me by surprise, to compel me to call my wife and my guest to the deck, to give up my keys and my money to him, and to do a hundred different things to assist him in his robbery, and all without one word of protest and without offering the slightest resistance. But I have said that before. He had the drop on you, Cain. Had the drop on me? I should say he did. He had the drop on me, and he had the sand all out of me as well. This is what makes me so mad whenever I think about it. Well, about this manner of him coming aboard and leaving the yacht, you started to tell me about that. When the pirate left us to walk forward, I noticed for the first time that there was a craft of some kind laying across our bow. I could see two slender tapering masts, but from where I was seated here in the chair, I could see nothing of the hull. The go-along stands rather high out of the water. She has an unusual freeboard for a craft of her size. That fact may account for what you tell me. Sure, I understand that now. It did account for it, or rather, it does account for it, as you shall see. Well, go on. Captain Sparkle was the last of his crew to leave the deck of the yacht. He stood yonder in the bow until they had all disappeared. Then he turned, and after waving his hand at us, he also jumped from the deck of the yacht and disappeared. And then, asked Nick, why, then I could control myself no longer. I leapt to my feet and started forward. I don't know just what I intended to do, save that my first thought was to dive below, get a gun of some sort, and take a shot at something. But the Count stopped that. The Count? How was that? When I leapt from my chair, he grabbed me. I suppose I have him to thank for it, and the ladies also, for the pirate might have returned if I had shot at him. Well? Then we stood right here where we are now, the entire group, and we watched that pirate sail away without offering a word or an act of protest. Nick, did you ever see what is called a turtleback craft on the Great Lakes? Often. Well, if you should reduce the size of one of them to about 75 or 80 feet overall, and then run a bright nickel rail all the way around her from end to end, it would give you a better idea of that pirate craft than anything I can think of. And yet it is not a very correct idea either. You'll have to eliminate the upper works of the turtleback and also the funnel. Just bear in mind, will you, that the thing was not in sight for more than two minutes at the most, so I had not much chance to get her measure. Where did she go? Go. She went like a shot out of a gun. She went like a bullet. 
and she was just about the color of the water, so it was next to impossible to see her after she was several hundred feet away, even in that bright moonlight. I can understand that. I wish you could have seen her. So do I. But suppose you describe her to us, without reference to the turtlebacks. Describe her just as you would if you had never seen a turtleback. All right. She was, I should say, 75 or 80 feet overall, and from 16 to 20 feet beam. I'm guessing at it all, of course. Certainly. She was long and narrow and floated as if she was rather deep in the water. She carried two masts, but I saw no sign of a sail upon her. There was no funnel, and when she shot away from the bow of the yacht, her motive power, whatever it was, made no noise whatsoever, so I presume she was propelled by electricity. Storage battery powered, eh? Yes. Her deck was convex from end to end and guarded, as I have already said, by a nickel rail which ran her entire length. Away forward there was a low turret, like an old-fashioned poke bonnet, if the wearer of the bonnet were looking aft. This was, no doubt, the wheelhouse. Amidships there was a second turret shaped like an iron kettle and about six or eight feet in diameter. Aft there was another one exactly like it, and that is all. You think she might have been a submarine? No, I do not. I have thought of that and studied it over. She did not seem to me to be the proper model for a submarine, or at least she was not at all the shape of the generally accepted pattern for that sort of craft. Well, what did she suggest to you? Something more on the line of a small torpedo boat destroyer. Long, narrow, low in the water, swift, almost invisible by reason of her color, and with her upper housing so arranged that if she should be awash in a heavy sea, she would be none the worse for it because, with her turrets closed and locked, not a drop of water could get inside the hull. Where did she go? Straight out into the sound. I have told you that the tide had swung us, so our bow was pointing that way. The pirate kept in upon us while I was sitting there aft, smoking and dreaming. He probably came in under very little power, so that he was actually alongside before I could hear its sound. I even doubt if I could have seen her if I'd happened to look in that direction. And now, Nick, you've got the whole story. What do you think about it? I haven't heard the Count's version of the affair yet, said the detective, smiling. Mine, replied the Count, stroking his imperial and showing his splendid teeth. I am afraid, Mr. Carter, that I could add very little to what has already been said. At the present moment, I can recall only one detail which seems to have escaped the others. And what is that, if you please, asked the detective. I noticed merely that the pirate's hair was very light in color, and what you would select for your idea of a Norwegian Viking. But I also noticed that his eyes were very dark, black, I should say, although the holes in his mask did not give much of an opportunity to view them. But if I am correct, the combination would suggest, would it not, that the hair was a wig, and that his own natural crown was black. Quite so, said Nick. And now tell us what you think about it, insisted Maxwell Kane. I think as you do, replied the detective, smiling, that you were visited by a pirate who has succeeded in injuring your feelings much more than he did your purse. But now I want you to answer some questions which occurred to me, and after that, well, after that, we'll see what can be done. End of chapter 2